Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. When vetting the best place to sharpen your performance skills, it's hard to imagine finding a facility more comprehensive than Dominate Your Game in Las Vegas. As Director of Research and Performance, Dr. Mike Palmieri makes it a point to assess a few factors before you make it through his doors. He wants to make damn sure you're willing to put in the work necessary to improve your game. As he states, every client is a business card, and fortunate for Mike, most of his athletes are professionals with a thorough understanding of what's expected of them. This week, Mike, John, and Tex rip through talks of training, nutrition, assessments, and sweaty undies. That's right, a humidity report is just a few minutes away. Here it is, episode 467. Hey, Power Athlete Radio. Welcome to another episode of the Premier Podcast in Strength and Conditioning. I'm sitting here with my lovely co-host, Mr. Chris McQuilkin, a.k.a. Tex. Thank you, John, for having me. Yeah, I'm John Wellborn, CEO of Power Athlete, and we are Power Athlete Radio, and we got another badass episode oh, today. Oh, man. Dude. It's genuine badass. So Dr. Mike Palmieri, Director of Research and Performance at Dominate Your Game Elite Sports Science Facility based out of Las Vegas, Nevada. Yeah, so Dr. Mike works with high-performance athletes, as he said, tier, top-tier, mm-hmm. high-performance elite athletes. So he's working with professional athletes and people that get paid a lot of money to go do what they do, especially for large audiences. And the company, Dominate Your Game's mission statement is pretty awesome. Just straight up, make you more money. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, you'll get into the conversation where he talks about, hey, our job here is to fine-tune all the things outside your skill and help you cash big checks. Mm-hmm. And fortunate, Dr. Mike and I were connected to longtime friend Fairfax Hackley. Oh, good old Fairfax. Oh, yeah. So Hack, as he's commonly known in the fitness realm. and But, but he's not a hack. Even though his nickname's Hack, he's oh, he not preceded, a hack. Hack preceded all these hacks. <laughs> and he is a future guest on Power at the Radio, so we'll get into that, the, all the jokes with him. But, man, I'm, I'm fortunate with this connection because... Dr. Mike is one awesome dude. Yeah, no, he's a sharp cat, and he's out there doing it. I mean, he's out there working with athletes. They run a research facility, so they're you know being able to test certain things with their athletes. And I always kind of am amazed with some of the uh, the research studies that we read that they're always based on like unadapted individuals. Hey, we brought in these eighteen guys that have never lifted weights, and then here's what we saw. So I always think sometimes. Uh, I'd like to read some more studies based upon professional athletes, but the problem is is that the controls are usually off because mm-hmm. professional athletes are, you know, hey, if I'm going to go play in the NBA or the NFL, it's very specific. So to be able to put them into some research studies becomes a bit pretty laborious. So um, I commend him for the fact that he's able to do it and use his facility for research. And hopefully there's some pretty cool stuff. We, we talked a little bit about hydration and leg strength in this one. And he's got a ton of information and look forward to hopefully one day heading out to Vegas and seeing his facility and talking a little bit more. Yeah, the, the research thing was it was pretty fascinating to me in this episode. And Mike lays it out very well for us to understand in that this the one percent of the one percent that he's working with things that they're able to find out to get them just a little bit better applying that to now the general population that could increase their performance or pain-free movement five to ten percent versus us trying to take gen pop college male people that have never lifted weight studies and apply it to professional athletes or even our 
our hardcore power athletes in the garage gym. Yeah, he's, he's not working with, uh, with shrimp trying to build their VO2 max by building special backpacks and little treadmills for the shrimp to run on. Literally. Uh, yeah, literally. That's a study in the NSCA. Uh, I also like the fact that he was based on the, you know, the KISS principle. Keep mm-hmm. it simple, stupid. Work on the basics. Nutrition is simple. Uh, don't get you know, wrapped around the axle on all this romance and kind of the shiny fishing lures that are getting thrown out there on social media and really kind of plaguing the Internet now that a lot of times the tried and true and the basics will always be the basics. And the reason for the basics is because they've been tried and true. And speaking of tried and true, this episode is brought to you by Power Athlete Training. Ooh, Power Athlete Training. Now, did you know we sell training here at Power Athlete? We don't just sell it, but we provide training to thousands of people a day all over around the world. We have flagship programs like Jack Street, new straight-up bodybuilding program. If you want to put on sick amounts of hypertrophy, we got Jack Street. Field Strong, another one of our flagship programs based upon developing and fostering athleticism. Grindstone, that's a program that we have for our Fortune 500 CEOs, new fathers, and people where life is getting in the way and you need a flexible program. Um, From there, we got Hammer, the Holistic Athletic Movement Readiness Program, which is our military-based door kicker, war fighter, anybody that goes in harm's harm's way program, uh, dedicated to not only big strength, big capacity, but a dedicated run and sprint template each week. Mm-hmm. And then we have obviously Johnny Wad, which, you know, if you like it hard, heavy, and fast, and a lot of sexual innu- innuendos, I write those every week on Johnny Wad. That pairs perfectly with Johnny Bod, which is the accessory program that we uh, throw out there that can be bolted on all of these programs. We got a speed program with Speed Kills, Lean Enable which is, you know, kind of our gateway uh, program where, you know, hey, I want to get into barbells. Where do I start? And also Bedrock, which is our basic linear uh, progression foundation program. You've never lifted weights. You want to get badass with barbells, jump on Bedrock. And then from there, we can kind of move you around. So we got a ton of programs, um, thousands of people a day all over around Mm -hmm. the world kicking ass, following Power Athlete programs. So all you got to do, head over to Power Athlete HQ dot com backslash training to take a look and you can also search for us on train heroic which is our app partner and there is a little survey on our website that we look for how much time constraints you have how much equipment do you got what are your training for and then put you in the best position to try a seven-day trial of mm-hmm. one of those programs john talked about. and if you go through the programs and you're a little confused drop us an email reach yeah. out we're here you will get hit back pretty quick and we're here to answer questions. Our job is to get you to the right program. And if it's not right, we'll switch you to another one and we will work with you to find exactly what you need. And if you need some custom stuff, you can reach out. We got custom remote coaching that we do. I do a ton of that every, every month and also nutrition. So Power Athlete is kind of your one-stop shop for being a fucking badass. And if you're ready to, you know, get your hair on fire, get hit with a fire hose and blow your mind here on Power Athlete Radio, all you got to do is tune in. Ready? Let's do it. Go. If the people in Power Athlete Radio don't know you, can you introduce yourself and give us a background on who you know, who you are, what you do, and more importantly, uh, you know how you're making a difference? Absolutely. Um, my name is Michael Palmieri. I am the director of research and performance at Dominate Your Game. We are an elite sports science consulting firm based in Las Vegas, Nevada, and um, uh, we work uh, primarily with um, elite tier one professional athletes. Um, and so we're talking, uh, we have clients from all four major leagues, uh, uh, UFC, Bellator, IBO, WBF, um, Olympics, 
all of those. And, um, <clears throat> and uh, we also work with uh, executives, CEOs, stuff like that, kind of want to be treated the same way. And, and basically what we do is at our, at our facility, we provide all of the services outside the skills of, of particular sports. So uh, we have a, uh, what I run, which is basically the research side of stuff, uh, the nerd side, you know, the, the science side. Uh, we have um, uh, the performance side, so our strength conditioning coaches. <clears throat> we have our nutrition team, which are all dietitians and our chef. Um, and uh, then we have a full sports medicine team, which is our uh, physical therapists, athletic trainers, chiropractors, massage therapists. They do all the, the rehab work. And um, physicians, orthopedic surgeons that we work with. And so our goal is basically to, when we get an elite athlete, uh, is to provide everything they need, like I said, outside the skills, uh, their specific skills for their sport. Um, so uh, we get a guy that comes, I, I, I told an NFL receiver one time, I said, my job is not to make you catch your ball better. That's your skills coach. My job is to make you get to the ball faster and run over your opponents better. That's what we do. And so we... Our clients call us their toolbox. Basically, um, when they need something outside of their skills, they reach in and grab us. So that's basically what we do. Um, but we do a big, big side of research. Uh, like I said, it's really nice. We're able to do um, uh, collegiate level research, stuff you'd get at a, at a university, but without the bureaucracy. So um, we can do that. We have published research that we've conducted. Um, and as a result of that, we've... Uh, We've expanded into uh, conducting education forums um, where we are able to provide speakers and seminars and lectures and uh, offer CEUs for, for, um, for clinicians and practitioners. And so we've expanded into that because of our, our vast diversity of our staff. And uh, so we got a lot going on, but uh, it keeps us busy. Keeps nice. me out of trouble. Sounds like a lot of balls in the air. Uh, you know, there are uh, a lot. If uh, I'm just kind of wondering how we attack this thing. I mean, do we segment it? Like, uh, I mean, I'd love to talk about not only the training that you're doing, but how the research is playing into that. And more importantly, uh, <clears throat> you know, is the research telling you things about within the training space that you didn't know, or is it just kind of confirming bias? Um, a little of both. We just conducted it. We just finished uh, a study. We just concluded a study. Uh, where we were checking um, for a connection between um, hy the hydration status, the hydration level of an athlete, and their ability to generate force. Um, and uh, two things that we looked at were basically hand grip strength, uh, because that's used in so many different uh, things now. Uh, they found out you, know, so you can determine uh, nutritional capacity from hand grip strength, all these things. It's really interesting. Um, and then the other thing we did was uh, leg force uh, strength. And so um, uh, we used a uh, what's called a bioimpedance spectroscopy device, and it measures uh, the fluid inside the cells, the fluid outside the cells, and then your whole uh, total body water. And um, what we did find, which was really interesting, um, obviously we know that there's a direct connection that the better hydrated you are, the better you perform. I mean, I think that you guys, I mean, that's, that goes without saying, we know that. Uh, but what it did show was um, 
a very distinctive, um, I guess you could say, cutoff point uh, where if you have above a certain amount of total body water in your in your body, you will exponentially generate more leg force. And um, uh, so that was really, really interesting because that's not really what we were looking for. Kind of serendipitously popped up when we ran the statistics and we plotted it. And then all of a sudden we saw this point of, of uh, if you have greater than 46 liters of fluid of water in your body, you're going to go from performing well to performing exponentially better. It was a huge launching point for some reason, that 46 liters. And that's, irre- that's regardless of the subject's mass. We had uh, athletes from all different types of sports um, and all different sizes and their mass didn't matter. The, the point was still 46 liters. And so something like that, that was a, that's a great example of what we've been able to do where we can conduct a study and then turn around directly apply it to uh, what we're trying to accomplish in improving our athletes' performance. How are you measuring the leg strength or the leg explosivity? Well, it was leg strength. Uh, we were doing force development. We weren't doing power development, just forced. Uh, we were doing. Uh, we use. We have a force plate, mm, okay. and uh, we did uh, single leg, you know, Bulgarian squats, and um, we did it for each leg, and um, and then uh, ran the numbers off of that. Wow! So greater hydration improves greater response and strength. Man, my high school football coach, thank God he's dead, <laughs> would have uh, disagreed because I remember him oh, telling completely. us, "Water is weakness." And, yes, uh, <laughs> yes. Water is for wimps. I heard the same thing. Yeah, water is weakness, and uh, you know, yeah. And I, I have my athletic trainers at my at my office. You know, they're they're constantly banging their heads. It's one of the reasons why they love working for us because it's kind of like they don't have to deal with that. Where, you know, go give them water. Don't you know? Hold water. Don't give them water. Don't worry. They're they're you know they got to run suicides now. I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> one of the reasons why I opened my own company. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, it's usually helpful that way. Uh, so um, is it something where, you know, I mean, obviously you have a pretty deep talent pool. Uh, do you find mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, and I always wonder, especially when we read a lot of research from the NSCA or really anything people put out, it's always interesting when they select control groups. You know, normally it's like this, you know, these 18 men have never lifted weights before and we're bringing them in and we're testing a program. I mean, your right. research is pretty interesting because you're working with high-level performance you know, athletes who get paid to do this for a living. So I'm wondering if like that talent pool, which is kind of specific. I mean, my background playing in the NFL, I always tell people, man, the only way some of those guys weren't getting to the NFL is if they got hit by a bus on the way to the stadium. And so I wonder sometimes with the genetic pool and working with that group of individuals, if that information can be extrapolated out towards the general pop or do you even give a fuck? Like, Mm -hmm. is it something where you're like, man, we're purely, purely using this to ramp up the world's best athletes within our training facility. It's really funny you bring that up because I literally just had that conversation a few weeks ago um, with some of my colleagues, and a lot of the research that had been done using bioimpedance spectroscopy and and measuring body fluids and comparing it to to function, and I I use that word explicitly, function, um, was... uh, used on people who were severely ill, like cancer patients, um, as well as the elderly. Um, 
and um, which is fine, which is great stuff, but nothing had been used comparing it to performance of an elite athlete. And so our primary goal at my company is obviously, uh, I tell people this, and some people take this the wrong way, but let's face it, we're a private company. So our primary goal is to make our clients more money, okay? So if you're trying to get uh, into college, you know, you're trying to get a scholarship. If you're a college athlete, you're trying to get drafted. If you're already a pro, you're trying to extend or improve your contracts. So ultimately, it comes down to making money. All right. I know that sounds harsh, but you know why? 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 Not sure? at all. <laughs> that's, real, that's why we do this. Yeah. That's why we're all in the industry. Okay, is is to improve people to make them better so they make more money, and in turn, we make money. And so, um, so that's our primary goal. And so, when we do our research, when we conduct our research, it is primarily with the intent of finding ways to improve either the performance of our athletes or the ability to improve their rehab if they're coming off an injury, um, stuff like that, little tweaks here and there. When you're talking elite, and you guys know this, when you're talking elite-level athletes, you're talking tiny little changes to improve stuff. I mean, Olympic swimming is determined by eight one-hundredths of a second, right? Something like Something ridiculous like that. So if if you're when you're talking when you're when you have a Ferrari or a Lamborghini, how do you make it go faster? Okay, and so we have to figure out every little type of of nook and cranny and niche that we can find in order to get these guys better. Or like I said, on the other side, if we're rehabbing them, and so primarily that's our job. Now that being said, a lot of our research can trickle down into the gen pop. Okay. So we can say it's much, it's much easier to start with somebody that is a, a professional athlete and research that we find there and trickle down into the general population versus trying to develop something within the general population and bringing it up into, into performance. Um, so it's, um, it, yes, it can work that way. And, and yes, we can see that difference, but that's not our primary goal. Gotcha. Um, have you guys done any uh, research or experience with like the biologics that are really going around? I mean, everybody's doing stem cells, exosomes, and you know, looking at all these different biological ways to improve joints and health and heal things. And um, it's pretty exciting, actually. Uh, but what's yeah. what's interesting is it's kind of been lackluster because I think a lot of people are doing it poorly. Like I just saw a guy from Instagram the other day talking about, hey, I'm trying to ramp up stem cells by fasting for three days for, before I take a, you know, a withdrawal from bone marrow. And that's been proven to not be the effect because if you shuttle the body with nutrients, we know that the stem cell count goes higher. So it's pretty interesting. Like, you know, Pete, like I, I see it from all sides, but I've also read all the research and pretty jiggy on that too. So I'm wondering if you got any experience on that as well. Quick note for well, listeners, Mike's turning very red. I see this vein <laughs> popping out of the middle of his forehead. I, I see. I mean, so uh, like, I, I don't know if Tex told you, but I, I played 10 years in the NFL and then the last mm -hmm. 10 years I've been doing this stuff. And like, you know, I was in, you know, getting my blood work done twice a year and, you know, looking at micronutrients and really just kind of right. trying to really hack this thing for a lot of years. And I hate the term hack because people use the word hacker usually hacks. But it's pretty interesting with like the research in exosomes and stem cells and Dr. Ants down at um, um, 
uh, Dr. Andrew's place down in, in Florida is a buddy of mine and I've been down there to speak and it's, uh, it's pretty interesting when you look at the research and then I go on social media and I see this stuff, which is like fucking witch doctory and magic and just this, like people just selling people crazy shit. When I was, when I was growing up and when I played sports, you know, I started pretty young and I remember going through my teenage years, you know, where I had absolutely nothing to go off of, you know, and we basically had to, the only thing we had to listen to was the biggest guy in the gym and kept our fingers crossed or I was reading powerlifting USA magazine, I mean, powerlifting magazine, um, you know, and, uh, and, and, and that was basically it, you know, and back then the term was developed and it's carried through since then of bro science. Um, the thing is, and this is what's really kind of sad about it. I'm going to be honest, but more than I would say two thirds of what is considered bro science is what started our industry. Okay. If it weren't for guys back in the forties and fifties experimenting on themselves when it came to training and diet and eating, uh, uh, all those bizarre substances that they used to eat and try experiment, our industry would never have been born. Okay. Because basically our industry came out of, out of, out of the, the situation where people were experimenting on. So I'll tell you what, I, and we work with, we work with a number of professional physique athletes as well, but physique athletes are some of the greatest people to run studies on because they do exactly what you tell them to do. They are so pinpoint and, 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 and to a, to a fault. And so they've came up with these, these styles and these practices and these methods back in like the fifties. And people started looking at them like, wow, why is that happening? You know, you had exercise physiologists start looking at stuff and why did that happen? And, you know, the, the field of, of strength conditioning is, is such a, a baby field, relatively speaking to where it came to everything else. I mean, if you look at exercise science, 60 years ago was primarily for the elderly, uh, for cardiac rehab, uh, stuff like that, you know, where the, the, where the foundations of the ACSM got started, um, and et cetera. And that's where, that's where it kind of came from. So I'm not, I'm not knocking that bro science is bad, but the problem comes where you have somebody coming up with an idea that is the greatest new thing that they think works and touting it as realistic and touting it as real when you have all the research, whether it's clinically published or anecdotal, saying exact opposite. And all they tell you is like, oh, you don't understand because you've never done it. Motherfucker, I've been training. I have been, I've come, I played in baseball. I competed in powerlifting. I've been in this industry for 25, almost 30 years. Okay, so I have the experience and I have the education. So people need to understand that Look, there are things that are out there that are legitimate and realistic. And there are things that people are going to hop on IG and do their little butt exercises with wearing a band for that does absolutely nothing. And people will fall for with that. A, with a peach emoji, mind you. you got to have the peach emoji yes, when you're doing yes. the, the booty uh, blasters. My nieces, my nieces decided to tell me what a peach emoji was for, okay? <laughs> and so... <laughs> and and that's what kind of... That's what kind of... That's what kind of... It, it comes from. So... When it comes to a lot of the stuff that's out there, we have, we've had athletes that have done, uh, you brought up uh, stem cells. We have had athletes that have actually done real stem cell therapy, and we've worked with their physicians. 
Um, you mean by, by real stem cells, like embryonic stem cells, uh, not basically culturing their own? Yeah, embryonic, yeah. yeah. So this was done over in Europe, okay? And so... Um, That's crazy, because I had so, it done here in America. <laughs> no, this was... The first one we did was years ago, before it was legal here. Oh, when, when they did it, like in Germany, where uh, it was yeah. Re Regen X and all that, yeah. Yeah, is that what it was called? I can't remember what it was. Yeah, that uh, yeah. that that was the one that uh, Kobe Bryant went to, and Erlacher went to, and then Peyton Manning went to, and those guys were over there doing like stem cells and ACI, uh, ACI, yes. yeah, uh, yeah, the ACS and all that. Yeah. So, um, so that's you know, so there are things that have come out where they'll take something that they see in research. Um, I love people, you know, they say, well, I've researched this, you know, they'll, they'll Google something. And my dietitian, for example, my dietitian, she calls Dr. Google her, her bane of her existence, you know, because <laughs> we, we have, you know, you have people that Google something and they get all the answers and they come up and say, oh, you know, why is this? And well, that's not really probably what's going on. Run it by one of our physicians, you know, get some blood work done. Okay. But yeah, but, but Google says, you know, or WebMD says, mm. um, those things exist, and yes, they're true, but people with no experience or no background, they tend to take something that sounds amazing and run with it. I'll, um, I'll give you a really good quote. Um, I'm not sure if you guys know who Mark Philippi is. Yeah. But um, World's Strongest Man. You? Yeah. 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 Okay. I, I, so oh. uh, just to give you a background, um, the old power lifter that trained me in high school is a guy named George Zangus who invented the super suits and the wraps. So marathon nutrition, yep. if you're an yep. old power lifter. So yeah, and when I was yep. 14 years old, I trained in George's garage in Palos Verdes. Okay. So yeah, so okay. like, Sweet. and then I went to Cal and Berkeley and then played in the NFL. And like, so yeah, I'd like the history that you're talking about is very similar to my history, sitting there reading powerlifting USA and trying to pull workouts out of Flex magazine, you know? That's, and I'd make the best of it, right? And reading the supplement ads and trying to read between the lines and diets and nutrition. Yep. Yeah. I, I, I did a lot of experimenting on myself, unfortunately. Yeah. But, oh, yeah. So, anyhow, uh, Mark Philippi told me one time, because, you know, he lives here in Vegas. And yeah. he was, is, he uh, still at, is he still at UNLV? No, no, no. He hasn't been at UNLV for a while. Uh, he was their head strength coach for a while. He left there about 15 years ago, oh, I Jesus. think it was. Yeah, okay. Uh, but he has his own place called the um, uh, PSI, and he does strength conditioning training and stuff like that. Brilliant guy, actually, and he's a, he's a great strength coach. But he told me one time, he goes, you know, Mike, there are a lot of new methods and fads out. He called them uh, neon-colored barbell training, mm. okay? And he said there's a lot of new programs out there and a lot of fads and a lot of methods and he goes, and, and some of them work. He goes, some of them are legitimate. He goes, but sooner or later, ultimately, you got to put yourself under a bar. Yep. And that's what he is. And he's right. Sometimes we get, the, we get so caught up with a lot of the new stuff. Uh, you get so, I get, uh, my clients, some of my clients are jerks in, <laughs> in the sense that they love texting me things and, you know, something they saw on, on Instagram saying, hey, coach, should I be doing this? You know, ha ha. And it's some new exercise method. And, but you, you get <clears throat> so many people trying to jump on bandwagons of something that just looks amazingly new and awesome and fantastic. And some of the, some of the new ideas are great. And, and I'm not knocking all of them. 
Um, but ultimately, like I said, you got to put a bar on your back. Sooner or later, you've got to do the basics. You've got to go back and start with the foundations because the human body, and this is my background, my, I'm a biomechanist, okay? So I look, I look at the human body as a machine, okay? So every, everything I look at, like, a, like a, a physiologist will look at the body at the cellular level, okay? I look at stuff from acceleration and force velocity, force vectors and velocity and stuff like that. So that's how I work. And <clears throat> the human body is a machine. It's a complex machine because there's so many things going on. But at the same time, it's very simple. We're still running on a process that dates back 30,000 years. Our body has not changed much. And um, we need to realize that sometimes the absolute basics is the best thing to get things started. And um, the new stuff, absolutely, there's some things out there that are great, but you cannot do those in, in spite of forgetting the, the old stuff, the stuff that is considered, you know, old-fashioned or, or whatever. And, um, and, and so that's kind of a, an ongoing issue that I have sometimes with, with people that come to us, want to work with our strength coaches. And, well, you know, I heard that, you know, I just have to run these drills all the time, and that's what's going to get me faster. I use a special rubber band attachment to my arm or whatever. Yeah, has benefits. Is there a place where I have? I mean, we've had I've had physique athletes, and and and, and I'm sure you could when you were in the NFL, you probably saw this. I've had uh, receivers go and you take ballet classes, okay, and um, or or uh, you know because to, to improve proprioception, absolutely, there's a place for it. Bodybuilders who do the same thing, they'll take ballet so they understand, or Pilates or yoga so they understand the posing, uh, controlling their body better when they're doing their poses. Completely, there's a place for it. And there's a place for a lot of things that are out there. But we tend to focus too much on one thing and forget about everything else. No, and then I'm, that's what ends up killing, killing the, the performance. No, I mean, it's, uh, you know, I used to box in the off season and I used to do a bunch of MMA <clears> fighting <throat> stuff and, you know, like to grapple and, uh, you know, but I always found like the hand speed stuff with boxing had greater carryover for me playing, you know, offensive line in yeah. the NFL than anything. But, um, man, I think... That's a funny point, the neon barbell. I call it the shiny fishing lure. I think that, like, uh, you know, uh, my brother and my dad are, uh, you know, my dad since passed, but are criminal defense attorneys. And my brother always told me that uh, even the dumbest fish doesn't get caught if it keeps its mouth shut. <laughs> so what I, th I, what I Very think... Very true. Yeah, with a lot of athletes, it's the shining fishy lure. You know, like you see the shiny, you know, fishing lure go in, and the dumb ones open their mouth and get caught. And it's pretty interesting, like, to use that analogy whenever I see stuff. And it's like I was watching something yesterday, and, uh, like, no matter how you skin it, you still have to train three muscle contractions, you know? Uh, eccentrics have a place, concentrics, you know, accentuation phase, isometric contractions. I mean, build stability. All these key components of strength training that we've known that you can go back and read about in the magazines back in the 40s and the 50s. And yet uh -huh. it's funny that um, people are trying to skin different ways to avoid them. And I'm like, ah, I just... I don't get it, but you know, maybe maybe we're dating ourselves. No, you know, I I'm um, I'm actually pre uh, preparing a lecture that I'm going to be doing. Well, who knows when it's going to happen now with Corona thing going on and everything. But I've been working on a lecture that I'm supposed to present in the spring. Um, but what I'm talking about in this lecture is um, forgetting the basic sciences. Okay, so. If you look at uh, biomechanics or if you look at exercise physiology or uh, dietetics or stuff like that, 
we're kind of like engineers are, okay? Engineers, they're basically applied scientists. It's an, it's an applied science. We didn't have to do the, the research, the work to develop the science. We're taking the science and applying it to practical use. So we're all, all of us are, are basically applied scientists. And so what are the basic sciences? So a basic science is basically your chemistry, your physics, and your biology. And so what I've been seeing a lot lately, and this is unfortunate because I'm seeing it within academia when it comes to these applied sciences, is we're seeing them focus so much on something that they're finding in their research that, that looks this way, completely flies in the face of anything in, in the basics. Well, it doesn't matter. I had, when I was working on my master's degree, one of my professors told me, don't always trust the numbers that come out of the black box, okay? This right here, this is what makes a determination of if it's legitimate or not. If something comes out doesn't make sense or flies in the face of basic science, it's probably not right. And, and so sometimes we get so caught up on these things happening at a, at, a, at a cellular level, so to speak. I'm using it as an example. And it, like one of the things that I just had a discussion with was uh, cell volume, I mean, uh, uh, arterial volumizing uh, substances, you know, like NO and stuff like that on trying to increase uh, blood flow and et cetera, et cetera. And I said, these things are all great, but it, it kind of doesn't work very well with fluid mechanics. And there's some issues when it comes to how fluids work within a closed system physics-wise. Well, yeah, but the research is still, I don't care what your research shows. The physics does not, you know, if you have a problem, go talk to Newton about it. I didn't develop any of this <laughs> stuff, okay? And so, and so we're, we're, we've kind of gotten away from it. And, and, I, and I think that kind of applies to everything that we're looking at. We're seeing it with, like you said about, uh, things on, on Instagram and they, they focus on something with no background. They, oh, this looks great and shiny and new. And then, but we're also seeing it in academia. Oh, this is shiny. They want to be that next person out there, get their paper published, regardless of, of, of the impact of what it actually makes sense of, does it actually make sense? And, um, uh, so it's an ongoing battle. Um, I, I could talk for about hours. So I'm just going to well, what's uh, I'll step off my soapbox. <laughs> no, I'm, I, I appreciate the preaching. Um, the talk that you're working on now, uh, can you give us a, you know, any indication or give us a little information on what, what you want to present and more importantly, how, uh, you know, how it fits within this, you know, keep it simple, stupid kiss method, you know, which I, is what I deal with daily where I'm like, what is the simplest, and this is Occam's razor, right? Like, what is the simplest answer for most of this stuff? Like, uh, and then you think like, um, and, and I'm sure you see this too, especially with like a bunch of high level professional athletes where, you know, they're really tip of the spear type of individuals and like maybe something could impact. But when you start extrapolating it down into the general population, uh, you know, something that might look really exciting and might help a professional athlete with a 0.1% improvement is like, going to take away time that's going to add a 10% improvement for the general population. Mm -hmm. I completely agree. And, and that's, that's one of the neat things on why I believe that I, I wish more legitimate research was being conducted on, on the elite level athlete. And, and I say legitimate because I'm going to step up on my soapbox again. One of the problems I've been seeing a lot with a lot of research that's been coming out that again, it seems to be a rush to get published um, is their, their subject size. Um, you know, they're, they're publishing paper with an end of, you know, subjects, you know, six subjects, eight subjects. And that doesn't, 
the a lot of statistics kind of fall apart if you have less than 20 or 30 people in, in your in your in your uh, in your group and and you you tell them that say, oh well well it implies that well great then say it implies that don't say it's statistically significant because it's not and but again you get that guy on ig that reads the abstract and then says oh this is a thing extrapolates a whole bunch of different stuff out of it that was never said and well this research shows it no it doesn't it does not uh, it's not what they ever said um and so i wish that some <clears throat> you could get better research conducted more and and now the problem is that we're running into now is because of 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 the corona is getting people into to do research getting people into to do studies and stuff like that because everything is so restricted um so it's gonna it's gonna take a hit and the other problem is is professional sports particularly you know the four major leagues where you're looking at the the most elite they're not well, except for the NFL right now. The NHL is kind of playing. I mean, let's face it; they're they're not they're not playing as much as they sh- they need to be. And and you know, you take a couple of weeks off, you detrain like that. You know, you that's it. And we're we're gonna it. We're not. I, I think we're losing that connection of where we're able to do some legitimate research on legitimate subjects of stuff that can be handed down and applied to the general population. Um, because of what we're looking at, it's it's a much there. The, the, like you said, it may be a 0.1 percent improvement for an elite athlete, but if we take that and and add it to somebody who is, uh, you know, coming off of a hip replacement surgery, you know, they may get a five or 10 percent improvement off of it, and that's stuff that's legitimate. Um, but it's not happening. You made a good point. Um, I've always said that if uh, you want to test any nutrition protocols or really see what works, you can't deal with the general population. You almost have to find physique or bodybuilders because they're the only ones that will adhere to something. And if you look at uh, you know all the people that I've I've known, trained with, and worked with, um, if you eat a high protein diet and caloric restriction, and you bang heavy weights to try to reduce muscle sparing and maybe hit a little cardio to get into a little bit more of a strength or a, a caloric deficit, usually that's how every bodybuilder is getting shredded. You know, dry out water. I mean, it's really not overly complicated, but then you get on the, nu- the topic of nutrition and it's like people start talking like it's magic, like we're watching Star Wars and they got to use the force and this and, you know, different diets. And I was, I, I got into a guy the other day who was, you know, fasting and keto and this. And I'm like, dude, whatever diet allows you to stay in caloric restriction, I don't give a shit. If you eat 10,000 calories of egg, of egg yolks, beef and coconut oil, I don't give a shit, uh, you know, how you tell me these foods are magic. You're going to be a fat ass. Like, yeah, it doesn't make exactly. sense. And, and, I'm, exactly. and, and, and it's like, no, 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 no. These foods. Unless, and your, name is, unless your name is Brian Shaw. But, yeah, uh, I, 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 you know, I, I, dude, I was like, dude, when I was playing, um, so I was, I, and this is just a little background, but uh, when I was in Philly, I was the only dude over 300 pounds that they'd ever tested under 10% body fat in the bod pod. Mm-hmm. So I was 282 pounds of lean muscle at 306. And I remember uh, them asking me, and I was like, ah, dude, I've been eating like 7,000 calories. And it was, uh, you know, and I went through this whole thing. And actually, the more I ate, the leaner I got. But it was so hard to be able to maintain that. And like, you know, people ask me, they're like, oh, you know, how did, you know, what's the easiest way to lean out? I'm like, dude, ah, like, I don't know how to get you to lean out uh, or at least, you know, lose body mass at 10,000 calories. I mean, it's just... It's like the law of thermodynamics. It doesn't make sense. And yet when we look at nutrition, I'm sure you see it too because, you know, you're professional athletes bringing you things all the time. And you're like, hey, man, um, like a calorie is still a calorie. Uh, it doesn't matter, you know, like if just 
yeah like well the the pendulum is is swinging really far the other direction um now for some reason um we up until probably about six months ago for the last 10 years all i've ever heard is you know calorie is not a calorie all the they're all different everything is different and um one of the again we're going to go take a step back to the basic science thing i was just talking about and i got into a conversation with uh, a guy just recently about this and and I said, you know, what, what is a calorie? Can you tell me what a calorie is? It's a unit of you measure. Know, yeah, it's a unit of measure. There energy. you go. Yeah. Exactly. It's a unit of measurement. It's like saying that my foot is 12 inches. Well, okay? but, uh, but how many a, people took like organic chemistry and actually took this in school? And I hear people pontificate yeah. on this stuff. And I'm like, did you ever take any of this? I mean, uh, like. Right. Yeah. And, 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 it's, and, it's, and it's like, it's like well, okay, but, but this is what, and I, I can't blame the people. Okay, because this is the information they get off of the internet, they get off the news, they get off of whatever, they get off of Google, and it's all, it's the stuff that's out there. Well, it is up to, it's a calorie deficit. Now, now, are, are the calories from the macronutrients used differently? Yes. Yes, we know that, we know that of the three, protein is the least likely to get converted to fat storage, okay? Yeah. We know that. There are certain things that within the individual macronutrients, of course, I'm going to be, I'm going to probably get smacked in the back of the head by my dietitian here any minute, but... Well, um, if you look at the protein uh, overfeeding studies, like they've gone and they basically have uh, overfed people calories on protein, and yeah. actually people gain muscle. So, like, yeah. it's, it's really hard, even in, like, a protein it's overfeeding. very hard. Yeah. You know, the first my I remember my very first experience in dealing with that uh, completely indirectly was I went to a Brazilian steakhouse mm. and it was, we were out of town and um, I didn't eat I didn't want to waste any calories on carbohydrates whatsoever. Okay, so I sat at that but table. But the polenta are so good. The, the cheese breads are so good. How do you resist yes, them? Yes, right. So I had to consciously deny myself. <laughs> right. So I just tore into all the steaks and the meats and everything like that. So I'm in the hotel room and I'm with one of my other staff and I, she, she, I, well, actually I have two of my other staff with me and, and I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm, I thought I'm having a heart attack. I'm sweating. My, every, I'm like, Oh my God, what the hell's going on? I'm having a heart attack. You know, that, that last filet did it, you know? <laughs> and so I wake them up. I said, I think I'm having a heart attack. My dietitian, she goes, no, you're just getting the meat sweats. Yeah. I go, the meat sweats. What the hell is that? And she goes, well, she goes, explains, you know, she goes, well, you're not, subs you're not, you're not including carbohydrates in there. She goes, when they cleave off the nitro uh, molecule, it, it generates a lot of heat. And so she goes, that actually will raise your body temperature about a degree. And I go, oh. Yeah, the okay. thermogenic was, effect. I, I knew that. I knew that. That never experienced it. And so, um, so again, when you're, like you said, with the overfeeding and stuff, but when you're looking at calories, when it comes to legitimate weight gain um, or weight loss, it is dependent on what you're taking in, plain and simple. It, you have to. It is calories in versus calories out. And I'm probably going to catch a lot of shit for that from the people who are still quote-unquote uh -huh. experts, but um, it is that. Like I said, again, we can fine-tune it later on when it comes to what we're looking at with protein, carbs, fats, the macronutrients. Um, but at the absolute basic level, the basic science says that 
this is a calorie. This object has this much calories in it, uh, this many calories in it. Uh, this is what measures your energy, and this is what you're going to put out, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's how it works. I, again, I didn't design this stuff. This has all been designed by scientists for the last 500 years, not me. I just uh, use it. In um, <clears throat> early in my NFL career, I worked with, um, and actually we've spoken to him many times since then, uh, Mauro De Pasquale, who did the uh, oh, anabolic yeah. diet yeah. and the metabolic. So Mauro did all my diet stuff. I was sponsored by a supplement company back in like the early 2000s, and he would do all my diet stuff and coach me on everything. And I remember him making a good point to me once. He said, um, uh, you know, like late at night if you're up, like, you know, all of a sudden you have all these different hormone levels and you'll get this kind of like uh, hunger. And that's where most people fuck up in their diet. They'll go and they'll, you know, eat a bunch of cookies and crush things. And it's usually later at night. And his thing was uh, always make sure there's something uh, like very simple, like a, a bunch of like shredded chicken or beef or something in the refrigerator when you kind of have that feeling a little mm -hmm. later at night, like I want to fucking fuck up my diet. He's like, just overeat on protein and you'll be fine. Yeah. And it was like, my, yeah, just make sure it's, it's there. My dietitians tell my, my, uh, um, our clients all the time, if you ever get hungry, A, let us know so we can adjust your diet. B, eat protein. Never restrict your protein intake. Yep. You know, uh, and one of the things that we have been having a problem with are a lot of these athletes coming to us thinking they need to restrict their fat intake mm. and, um, and their carbohydrate intake, you know, and I've tried telling them, you know, they'll, they'll say, well, I, I've, I had a, a disagreement with a person who said that, well, you can have an elite athlete on a, on a ketogenic diet perform just fine. I go, that's bullshit. I'm sorry. He goes, well, it takes about eight or nine months to adjust to it. I go, what type of athlete are you talking about? It has eight or nine months to wait for something to work. Uh, I disagree. One. I, I disagree. Players? No, I, I tested this. And uh, what, what it was pretty interesting was I think the ketogenic diet, um, like, <clears throat> might have been a little bit better for fat loss. But uh, it's extremely hard in that Krebs cycle, especially with, um, you know, without having carbohydrates like you. You know, right. and, and if you go back and you look at like the bodybuilding mag magazines from like the eighties, those dudes were eating like six and seven hundred grams of carbohydrates, and like you I, ever, yeah, it just you unreal. know, um, six-time Miss Olympia Corey Everson, yeah, okay, yeah, all right. When uh, she competed, she basically ate three to four meals every day. When she was getting ready for a competition, she never cut her carbs out, never, never she, reduced carbs. She probably just reduced fat. And she would, and it, she, it, carbs are a primary fuel source, okay? And yes, can we function on ketones? Yes. I had a moron tell me one time, you know, well, you have essential fatty acids and essential amino acids, but you don't have essential carbohydrates. I go, what kind of bullshit is that? I go, what, what are you talking about? That's our primary fuel source. That's how we work. That's how we function. And it's, it, it's, it's gasoline. That, you, you can't take a car and say, well, it runs on gas, but I feel like sticking it full of whipped cream today. You know, I mean, what, 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 that doesn't make sense. Well, it'll adapt, you know, it'll adapt. No, it won't. And if you have an elite athlete and you get them on, a, on into ketosis, real ketosis, and you know, where you have high fat, low carbs and low to medium protein, then you're going to start having them 
their performance starts taking a shit. I guarantee it every day of the week. Unless the, have, the, the only population that they saw that a ketogenic diet actually helped them for elite athletes was like in deep sea divers and people that were in the stress of being underwater. So like mm-hmm. all the research I looked at, like, and, and me testing it personally, like we always did like a cyclical keto where it'd be like, you know, Morrow's diet where it was like five days low and then you would crush it for two days and like redo it. Carb cycling is completely different. Yeah. Well, carb cycling completely is how different. every bodybuilder's ever got in shape and what Morrow was really the father of. So, but when we look yeah. at any of the special populations that really benefited from mm-hmm. having, you know, whether it be exogenous ketones or really high level ketones, it was usually had to do with like deep sea divers and, you know, testing it on. Um, you know, Navy divers and guys that uh, are underwater for extended periods of time. Something um, that just made me remember, it was a study done a long, long time ago um, on one of the original studies done on the use of beta alanine as a supplement. And it was one of the primary ones was done on underwater, uh, uh, not deep sea, but underwater swimming and um, for long periods of time. And, um, on its use and application. It was really neat. It just made me think of it because how they first found it was, uh, what type of whale is it? Um, one of the whales, I can't remember what type of whale it is, that will go underwater to deep levels to eat and be underwater for hours. And, um, of course, they're oxygen-breathing mammals, just like we are. Sure. And they found that they had stored levels of beta-alanine like a 1,000% higher and what would necessarily, you know, what would be used. And uh, that's how they allowed their muscles to keep functioning, to keep pulling out the hydrogen atoms from them swimming underwater and not getting any oxygen. And, and so for, it was from that study originally is where they started looking at the use of beta alanine in, in performance. That was neat. So anyhow, side note. <laughs> so our, uh, like, what would be your supplement protocol? Like, I mean, obviously you're doing research and looking at this. I mean, we're pretty basic. Like, I think if somebody's eating a high-protein diet, um, I've been – on creatine. I've I've been a continuous creatine user since 1992. I think I'm like got to be the longest continuous creatine user on the planet. And I've always, uh, okay. (laughs) So, so when I was a freshman in high school, uh, Zangus gave it to us, uh, when it came into a supplement store, Hey, just take this stuff. And I've been Mm -hmm. taking, you know, somewhere between five and 10 grams every day since then. And it's pretty, you've had no kidney problems, have you? No. And I think, uh, (laughs) I, I can't say this with for surety, but actually the research that's coming out on creatine supports it. Uh, I wonder if some of the issues that are striking a lot of NFL players with the CT and the you know brain issues, you know, yeah. are related to ATP and a bunch of other different factors. And the research that's coming out now, when they're looking at creatine, shows that it's a neuroprotectant and you know that's, helps. That's so. where I was going to go with it when you said that. Um, uh, I did a, uh, a non-clinical study about two years ago on the use of creatine uh, for um, neurological benefits. Um, I spoke with uh, Dr. Tonopolsky, uh, who is a neurosurgeon out of Canada, who uses creatine um, a lot of, with a lot of his um, uh, neurological patients, for example, like uh, uh, pediatric, pediatric epilepsy. Um, and stuff like that. And we've found that there is a lot of research now showing on the amazing, amazing benefits of showing of um, how it's used to protect uh, and, and, and improve the function or the symptoms of, of, of neurodegenerative diseases. And um, we've also found that it has a protective benefit when it comes to the brain 
um, all of our clients, my dietitians make sure that all of our clients, specifically, specifically any of the ones that are in a contact sport, right, 99% of them, are on creatine because it has been shown to uh, shorten the uh, severity of concussions when you're on it regularly. Yep. It doesn't improve it once you start it. You have to be taking it. Yep. Um, and um, there is there is so many things. And Dr. Tarnopolsky said basically, you know, we used to consume a lot more, he called it active meat, I think was the term he used. Yep. Basically animals that were more active, not just sitting in a farmhouse well, waiting uh, to be slaughtered. Uh, well, wi uh, wild animals, uh, things that are yeah, running. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and they had higher levels of creatine in their muscles because they were moving more. And uh, so we had a higher level of, of creatine in our bodies because we consumed more. Now our bodies still require that level of creatine, but we're not taking it in. It's, it's not in our food anymore. It's like my dietitians have told me, you know, um, the, the plants, the food, the fruits and vegetables that we have now don't have the same nutrition they did 30 years ago because the, the, they've gotten depleted. Yeah. You know, there's, there's things as we've continued to grow that they don't have the same benefit. Well, all of, all of our clients take creatine at some point. It, and it's just basic creatine monohydrate. Yeah. It's, it's the cheapest one out there. None of the other ones have ever shown to be any exponentially better to justify the cost. Um, yeah, I, I always thought know, that they were just marketing ploys by different companies to try to have like creatine, you know, creatine and all this stuff. And yeah. I'm like, dude, just the basic creatine monohydrates usually the best. Yep. You mean anus explode usually, <laughs> doesn't work? <laughs> oh, God. You know, and it's it's not like they don't work. It's just that they don't work any better and they're a lot more money. Yeah. You know, um, the Fancy research is in there. Yeah, no, the, exactly. Uh, uh, yeah, the, the creatine one's pretty fascinating. I mean, I, uh, like I've been telling people this and I, you remember there was that weird thing through like the nineties and even the two thousands where they were trying to relate it to like hamstring pulls and, you know, liver oh, and yeah. kidney yeah, yeah, failure. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, mm -hmm. ah, I don't buy it. Like it's, uh, and now all of a sudden they're like, Oh, I don't know where that research was coming from. And it's just, it was poorly done. Um, so do you, uh, I, I would imagine, um, with your athletes, you guys are doing some form of gut biome, micronutrient testing, blood work, um, yeah. so that you guys can look, cause I mean, you know, like you said, a calorie is a calorie, but if somebody has an allergy to a food and all of a sudden you start getting some low level, in, uh, you know, inflammation, that systemic inflammation binds up receptor sites. And then now longer, those nutrients can be absorbed. So is that something you guys do and want to wrap a little bit about that? Yeah, what well, we do, we, um, they are, our, our ex-phys guy, our exercise physiologists and our dietitians, they do a lot of the, of that type of testing. They'll order, uh, we order blood work, um, and, uh, we'll have some of the tests done and they, they, they tweak their, the diet and nutrition accordingly. Um, there are things done at a, at a blood level that we can look at, um, um, that, uh, that they can go and adjust. I've also, I'll do. I'll do uh, like a uh, lactic acid test, or I should say lactate um, test uh, when it comes <laughs> I to like that one up. I, I still fuck that one up all the time. I'll say lactic acid, and I'm like, well, well lactate, the research changed. Yeah, it's, it's it. You know, and I, I, I still, that's, I think, again, it's just from, you know, 1992, I yep. think. You know, just, you yep. know but, um, uh, but so we'll do stuff like that in order to, to really fine-tune stuff. And, and, and that's one of the things that why people like coming to us because we don't just, you know, reach in the drawer and pull out a template 
uh, of something here, go try this for a while and see what happens. Everything is very specific. Uh, we have <clears throat> we have professional athletes that come to us with medical conditions, you know, kidney issues or or liver issue or diabetes or um, hyper or hypothyroidism or uh, um, stuff like that. We have to take into account uh, for their not only their their training but their diet, and um, and so we have to constantly keep things adjusted and keep things moving, and keep them moving forward, and, and that's what they rely on us for. So. It, uh, you know, let's just give an example. Uh, like, let's say I'm a professional athlete, a former, and I show up at your facility. Can you take us through the process? I mean, do you bring them in, you assess them, you test them, you figure out, you probably sit down and look and say, hey, you know, what are your goals? What do you want to do? And then you go back and design a program to help them meet it? Basically, um, um, if they're referred to us, uh, which about two-thirds, maybe three-quarters of our clients are actually referred to us, um, when they come to us, we'll sit down, and we'll, we'll meet with them. Uh, sometimes it'll be uh, with like the individual athletes, like say a combat athlete, or like a UFC fighter or something like that, or a boxer. Um, if they come in, uh, we'll sit down with them. Sometimes our coaches will be with them. And well, why did you come to us? You know, what 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 can we do? Um, and there's a wide variety of stuff. Um, one of the like we'll have a coach say, "Look, I'm trying to improve this type of performance for him. Can you?" Can you test somehow, figure out, give me a baseline so I can adjust it? Because a lot of times they have nothing to compare it to. So we'll run tests on them to give them a baseline so they can adjust their training accordingly, and then we'll run tests again. That's one way of doing something. Um, another one is, that, you know, if they come in, I'm trying to improve this, or I'm trying to, uh, again, go back to a, uh, an MMA fighter. You know, I always gas out halfway through the second round. Okay, why is that? Um, uh, okay, so and, and and then we'll figure it out. A lot of times, uh, if they get a hold of me prior to or get a hold of us prior to coming in, I'll have some of my other staff there with us, depending on what they're coming in for. Um, Cindy, she is she runs my sports medicine department. She's an athletic trainer. Uh, she, if they come in and they say it's a, uh, a a rehab issue, so she'll meet with them and we kind of determine. Okay, is it pre-op post-op is it just is it just a injury rehab uh and we'll coordinate it from there so it's it's a there's a lot of possibilities that they can now if they don't come to us from as a referral if somebody just contacts us and say hey i i googled you guys and i found you and you know my son is a high school football player and i want him to, to be better uh we actually interview them uh we send them a questionnaire um, it's a two-page questionnaire they have to fill out. They send it back to us, um, and then I and then I, we interview them. And primarily is this: I need to make sure that the clients are coming to us are committed and dedicated to what they're doing. Um, I don't want. I mean, these these customers are our business cards. You know, we live by. We don't advertise. You know, we we have a reputation, and I want to make sure that they're going to come to us. <clears throat> And they are serious about what they want to do, what they want to do, and what they are doing. And are they going to uh, stick with what we tell them to do? Uh, and um, and so we, we we kind of vet them. We we filter them out. And I have turned people away and sent them to other strength conditioning facilities and says, you know what, it's we're not we're not going to work. It's just not going to work, you know. And and um, and so we, we run them through that. And then, and then if they get through all that, then we kind of sit down and kind of go from there and what they need. 
it's a pretty solid experience. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, uh, I, uh, <coughs> man, I, I know that the, I guess you could say the, uh, the price of, of, you know, success at the high school level to be able to go and get a scholarship and, you know, I mean, for what's that worth a couple hundred thousand dollars and the opportunity right. to get a chance to go play in the, you know, in professional sports, obviously it's exponential. Uh, are you seeing like a larger influx of people trying to come to your facility that are in that high school range? I mean, uh, like, in, and talk about a population that just needs the basics. But, uh, you know, every parent that's ever watched ESPN or anything has this idea that, hey, if, if these secret training methods that, you know, LeBron James trainer is using with him is applied to my kid, he's going to be all of a sudden over there in the next LeBron thing. So I feel like you're probably uh, crashing a lot of hopes and dreams and trying to pull the curtain back on the Wizard of Oz. Well, <laughs> I like that. I really wish it were a lot like that. Um, uh, minus, I mean, we've seen, I mean, they've they've pretty much have canceled all youth sports here in Nevada wow. um, because of, of the corona. And so uh, these we've, we're, we're, we're still working with a number of high school athletes that are just trying to hold on to something um, uh, and keeping their fingers crossed because these poor kids are watching their scholarship dreams go out the window because they can't play. Um so they want them, they want you know they have that that mentality of wanting to stay with it so as soon as it in there you know they get right back into it and start moving again um, unfortunately when it comes to working with with high school athletes it's not generally the athlete that we have concerns with it's mostly the parents <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm sure Texas you can you can uh, believe that I mean agree with that but uh, they you know we well, all my kid has to do is practice his, his, his skill six days a week. He doesn't need anything else. You know, I've, I've had parents tell me um, it was, he was a, was a football player. The son was a football player, and mom didn't want him training with weights because she didn't want him to get hurt. You know, I'm like, do you realize what your kid does, you know, voluntarily run into each other, right? And, <laughs> oh, that's different. Um, and, but the, the best one, best example I love using was we had a, uh, a baseball player, high school baseball player. Kid had a lot of promise. Uh, dad was very excited to get him into us. Mom didn't want two things to do with us. She just biting her lip the whole time she was in our office, you know, just, just not wanting anything to be done. And so one of my dietitians was meeting with him, and, and he was saying, you know, he had a lot of problems because when I played baseball in high school, okay, I played for a season, and that was it. Now these kids have legion teams and club sports, and you know they're playing literally 48 weeks a year, and that's in my opinion ridiculous. But who am I? Um, so anyhow, these poor kids are playing, you know, two a days in July when it's 122 degrees out here, six uh, percent humidity, and this, these kids like, well, you know, he was like, so he's saying, he goes, I'm, I'm really having a trouble. Uh, staying hydrated. He goes, I drink a lot of water, but it's just not. And so my dietitians tell him, well, you need something a little bit more than water because you're dumping so much. And so she, so he was like, what? He goes, she goes, well, she goes, you know, this is, this is the type of thing that Gatorade was made for, you know, and, and it's, it's this type of situation. So she goes, if you, if you're out there and you're, and you're having these issues, she goes, go ahead and sip on some Gatorade. It's fine. Mom unloaded. Okay. She stood up, banged on the table. She goes, I don't want him drinking Gatorade. I don't want him taking steroids. Mm. <laughs> 
Yeah, that, yeah. High, that high fructose corn syrup, which dramatically it's affects... A, it's a gateway performance God. enhancer, dude. <laughs> if, if I knew that I could buy steroids in high school at my local 7-Eleven for a buck fifty, okay, what uh. I was, are you kidding me? And so that's what that's what that's more of what we have issues with. I'll I'll um, one up I'll I'll one up the ridiculousness of that story. Um, okay, good. We uh, I got a letter from a kid like an email, and I, I have a, a blog called Talk to Me Johnny where people submit questions, and I used to answer a ton of stuff. And now we have a podcast which actually we answer the questions now. But um, this kid uh, heard one of my talks, and and we were working with a bunch of kids that were trying to put on weight. And my thing was like, Hey, if you want to gain weight, you're going to have to increase to gain one pound, 3,500 calories a week to gain one pound a week. If you want to gain two to three pounds a week, you're going to have to exponentially. Now we're at, you know, 2,200 or 22,050 extra calories. And I was like a gallon of milk is somewhere around 32 to 3,500 calories per gallon of whole milk. If you were to take a gallon of milk and supplement that like one or two glasses a day, uh, you know, over the course of a week, you would add your 3,200 calories and you would get your extra pound. So this kid listens to it and goes, oh, I want to gain weight for playing football, goes home. And I think somebody asked me, like, is there a better milk? And I was like, well, don't drink the nonfat stuff. It's, you know, at least get some fat, get more calories. If you have the option to get some raw milk, now all of a sudden there's a probiotic effect, hasn't been pasteurized, hasn't been, uh, you know, heated up. And, you know, if it comes from a, a safe place, like there's a, probably a pretty good effect. And when we looked at all the research um, that talked about people that drink milk have higher growth hormone <clears throat> levels. And yes. at the time, there was this idea that there was growth hormone in the milk, and it passed through the, the gut, but it, that wasn't the fact. It was actually, uh, yeah. yeah, no, but I mean, it's really related to protein. Actually, the higher protein diet increases growth hormone levels and IGF-1. So, uh, like, right, it, right. It, it, and it's, the type of proteins that are in milk yep. and, how they're, and how they're used. Yeah, there's casein, there's whey. And, yeah, so uh, I, I made this recommendation, and interesting enough, we had a ton of kids that started supplementing and drinking a gallon, extra gallon of milk over the course of a week, and they all got bigger and stronger, especially with a basic you know, linear progression they were using. So this kid goes and tells his mom, hey, uh, I want to start drinking milk, and I want to try to get some raw stuff. So... Uh, his, he shows the mom, it was one of my talks or, or lets her read it. And she writes me this email and, uh, that's like, how fucking dare you? Uh, what are your, like, like, what are your qualifications? Who are you? And just fucking tries to lambaste me in this email. And so I, I write this response, uh, that was titled mom and raw milk. And then uh, where I lambasted this woman and, uh, uh, you know, so it was a pretty good one. And years later, all of a sudden we get reached out with, you know, hey, I um, like to get an internship. So this kid comes in and interns for us and we're kind of going over and I was like, you know, initial interviewer, he'd been here like a week or two. I was like, dude, how'd you come across us? He's like, I wrote you a letter or uh, uh, I sent you an email with a question and you responded to mom and raw milk. And I was like, that was you. Oh, oh my God. So here this kid is in high school, years later, graduates from college. Like, you know, I mean, he's probably somewhere like a freshman, sophomore, you know, four or five right. years later, graduates from college, doesn't know what he wants to do, comes down and interns with us and uh, like full circle. And I didn't know about it until he gives his, you know, tells me. And I was like, did your mom ever read it? And he's like, no, I don't think she ever did. I'm like, when you go home, you have to get your mom to read this. <laughs> 
post-mortem. And uh, yeah, he said his mom was still a little fired up. But oddly enough, he turned around his life and power athlete was the difference for old TC. What, what a concept, right? And you know what, like what you said was it's, it's unfortunate because one of the things that you said, like she said, you know, what are your qualifications? They don't even care about that. They, they really don't. I mean, I understand if you like, I, you know, we made fun of the, the experts on social media. Um, but you can actually hit them with your qualifications and still not good enough, yeah. you know, and, and it's, it's just that because it fly, whatever it is they disagree with and they don't think it's the right thing and it doesn't matter. But if you ever have come across a situation like that again, I'll, I'll give you an idea. One of the suggestions my, my dietitians put our, our younger athletes on, or actually all of them, when you talk about drinking milk, take the whole milk and I'll have to get the, the, the ratio because she put it together for us. Take the whole milk and mix in dry milk with it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it makes yeah. this super condensed, high calorie, high protein drink. You know, and it's cheap, and it's you know it's it's uh, it's, it's something really simple. And they you know they, they add that to their meals. They take a glass a day, a glass with each meal, or something like that, and and uh, works really really well. I agree. Milk's it's, amazing. It's probably milk in a carnation instant breakfast. Is what? Uh, oh they, yeah, yep. yeah. They, there, there was an old weight gainer shake back in the day where it was whole milk with a uh, 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 carnation, you know, breakfast, and I want to say and like a ice cream and and some chocolate, <laughs> and uh, that was like the weight gainer. And I, I remember we used to take whole milk. I used to get this awful protein powder from Zangus, put a scoop, and then it was oh, car- carnation yeah. instant breakfast. Mix it up, and I would have to plug my nose because if I smelled it, I would vomit. Um, the, but you know what? I'm getting we- jacked. <laughs> We have at uh, at our uh, our nutrition area, our nutrition part of, of our facility. Uh, Lacey, our dietitian, our, our head dietitian, um, she put together this whole area and post workout, you know, post training, getting in your protein, getting in your carbs, stuff like that. So one area, one part of our nutrition area, is kind of like a training, post training, pre training drinks and meals and everything she puts together these cocktails that she puts together for our, our athletes and um depending on what they're for and time of year and you know extra gatorade or whatever so uh, one of the things that she has are like five or six tubs of breakfast cereals the really sweet breakfast cereals and what she does is she'll take you know, post-workout, a lot of the guys, they don't feel like eating, you know, they just finished training, blah, blah, blah. They need carbs, they need protein, so she'll take, you know, some milk, scoops of protein, creatine, whatever she makes her cocktail, and she puts in a serving of one of these breakfast cereals, you know, Cinnamon Toast Crunch, Cocoa Puffs, whatever. And they are high-carb, low-fat, and she goes, it's a little bit more palatable, they feel like it gets in there. They, she mixes them up prior to the training. So by the time they get done, it's kind of mushy and stuff. You know, we all love, we all love cereal milk, right? So we get the chocolate milk from the cocoa puffs. That's the best part of it. And, and so she mixes it in there and she puts it all together and they eat it and it sits well and they enjoy it. And it's simple and it's inexpensive. It's nothing fancy. You have to go and buy off of Amazon or GNC or something, you know? 
Sounds delicious. Yeah. I know. I'm kind of <laughs> hungry right now. What, uh, uh, like, um, uh, you know, like we said, I mean, obviously there's just, you know, simples and basics in nutrition and training. Like when you come in and, you know, you start working with an athlete, like what does that really look like? Like how are the basics evolved? I mean, obviously uh, I would imagine you probably work on some base level conditioning, like, hey, like let's get their GPP up, a little bit of big aerobic base, and then start adding in other movements based on, pro- on uh, proficiency. So can you take us through that process when you're working with your athletes? Yeah, well, it, it really depends on, A, the type of athlete they are um, and the level of athlete that they are So, um, and what they're coming to see us for. So, like, um, let me kind of give you a, more of a specific example. Like, uh, okay, like say we're working with a – I mentioned before about an, uh, a UFC fighter coming in saying that they're gassing out halfway through the second round. So um, what we'll do is we, we have them come in and we, we run, we have, actually we do some basic stuff. We will run a VO2 max on them. Uh, we can do that. But some of the other basic stuff, like a, like a 300 yard shuttle mm-hmm. um, is it's brutal, but it tells a lot. And the only pieces that you need to test it are some cones and a stopwatch. And um, it does, it does, does uh, explain a lot. And, and I look at that when we run, like it's like if we do a 300-yard shuttle, and um, you know you can see after the first hundred yards they start getting uh, uh, what was the term one of them used? Um, was it lock butt? I can't remember something like that. You know where the glutes lock up and everything like that because of all the of the the buildup. And and um, I can start looking at their their gait. I start looking at their movement. I start looking at that, and that just explains the world. Um, and so what we start doing is we like, say, um, say we have a UFC fighter that does three, five minute rounds. All right. And they have a one minute break in between. So we'll start doing on, if they're in the middle of their fight camp, say they're like eight weeks out from their fight. Um, we'll start running them through a conditioning, uh, circuit. Uh, one of the things I, I don't agree with, um, with a lot of, of skilled coaches is improving cardio of an, of an anaerobic athlete by training them aerobically. Okay. So I'll ask them, they'll come in I'll say, okay, right now, what are you doing for your conditioning? And they'll say, well, I run five miles, five days a week on a treadmill. I said, okay, if you can tell me this, then you're good. When do you ever run five miles straight in, the, in an MMA cage? Oh, but this is old school. I mean, every, every boxer's done road work. Yeah, pound and pavement. I yeah. know, and they still are. Yeah, 4.30 in the morning uh, in the dark. you right. got to get up and do the miles because Muhammad Ali did and it, Mike Tyson did it. So, right. So it's like, okay, well, well, they need to improve their, their, their cardio. Yes, they do, okay, but that's not done that way, okay? Um, it's like saying, okay, I can take uh, a sprinter, you know, or a marathon runner. Okay. They both run, right? But look at them. Boy, they completely looking they look completely different. Right? Okay, why? Because they train differently because they have different needs. Okay, so then I start we'll start running them through a conditioning camp. What we'll do is we'll set up stations to where we run them through uh, ten stations at thirty seconds each. And they just go from one to one to one to one to one. And it starts, stop, start, stop. It's hand use, arm use, leg use, 
um, ground pound ropes, ever all these different things, uh, heavy bag, all these different things. Because uh, I, I I explained to them when you're in the cage, you'll go and you know tap 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 kick back off a little bit, come in grapple grapple back off a little bit. It's nothing that's continuous, and you guys understand this. I know that, but trying to under, to explain, you know, doing this versus this on your on your conditioning is is sometimes is like you know beating your head against the wall so they'll say oh well i do all this cardio okay great let's run through one round one round of this and they can't make it halfway through because their conditioning is so bad and i tell them you know my goal is to make this training harder than you're ever going to have to do anything in the, in the in the cage and and so then if we work with them they stay with us lo and behold six weeks in all of a sudden, you know, I have heavyweights that are outlasting their lighter middleweight um, sparring partners because their conditioning is improved. They're using the fuel correctly. Um, and so that's, that's really what we kind of, we really kind of have to focus on is being very specific um, and very skill oriented uh, depending on that, the type of athlete, the sport and his level of expertise. Gotcha. So it's kind of custom programming. People come in and based upon the needs and more importantly, where they are, you start designing custom programs and protocols to meet their demands. Yes. I mean, you said you, you played offensive line, right? Yeah. Yep. I played guard okay. and tackle. So offensive line in the NFL is the big difference from an uh, offensive line in high school. Yeah. Slightly. Right? Slightly. Right. So that's, that's how we have to look at stuff. You know, I, I can't train or work with them exactly the same on each one. Um, it's like if we have a, a person that comes in for uh, um, a UCL injury, you know, um, and uh, uh, one of them had a Tommy John, the other one didn't. Um, well, we're going to have to tr- we're going to have to work with them very specifically, very coordinated, in order to make sure that they progress the quickest and the most, and they have the best recovery. It's all the same thing. It's I don't, I don't go with the term that, oh, everybody is different. No, it's not. We're all humans. We all function at basically the same level. But we all have different needs and requirements. Sure. And that's what we have to look at. Nice. I got a question, and I hope to keep it quick, Mike. I know we can do a whole podcast on this next one. <laughs> oh, boy. And what sparked it, you mentioned your, <clears throat> the skills coaches coming in for your fighters and then trying to explain what they do. Recently, I guess recently, within the past couple of years, that movie – Game Changers came out oh. about the vegan diet and tried to throw some science into this. Didn't so, we lambaste that for like we, four we did, hours? I, I, we got a, a freaking oh. awesome scientist here. Yeah. So I'm curious, did you start to see any uh, skill or fighting coaches come in and try to try to push diet and nutrition and push you guys around and tell you how it is? And then did you just drop science on it? Yes, yes, and yes. We, um, the Game Changers was a great, that's a great example, but uh, we've, we've gotten hit with a lot of things where uh, some coaches or athletes will come in and say, well, I'm, I'm doing this diet, and this is what I want to do. Um, and I'll say, well, you know, is it something I'll ask my dietitians? Is it something that we can work with what they're doing? What do you think of it? Um, one of the things that when they come to us, um, they have to do, they have to understand that they're coming to us for an improvement or let's just say that's what we're there to say they're the one reason they're coming to us is to improve their performance they need to understand that we function as a team and <clears throat> i am i am not a dietitian 
I am not a physical therapist. Those are not my those are not my levels of expertise. I have staff for that, and so they come in and they say, "Well, look, I want to do this, this." And what do you if they come to me this way and they say, "Hey, you know, Dr. Mike, what do you think of of this?" And I'll talk to them about it. You know, oh well, I heard this or I read this. What do you think of it? Now the nice thing is is ninety uh, percent of our high level athletes operate this way where they just come in and they just do what we tell them to do because they know that's what they're there for. I had my favorite example is I had an NBA player come in uh, last year. Uh, it was a it was a hamstring injury, um, and we set up everything. We worked. He has a house here in Vegas, so it was off season. He stayed out here. We worked with him. Um, to, to rehab them. And so we have a, I mentioned before, we have a chef that will custom make meals for our clients. So they don't even have to do that. Our dietitians put the meals together. He cooks them and they, all they gotta do is pop them in the microwave. Everything's numbered. They just, they don't even have to think. And so my dietitian sat down with him and she goes, oh, okay, all right, this is what we're going over. And, and she starts going with that. And he takes his big ass hand. Okay. And uh, she's, she's all a five foot three, okay? So she takes, he takes his big hand, sticks it on top of hers, and he goes, ma'am, no disrespect intended, but I don't care. Just tell me what I need to do. And I'm like, it makes it so much easier. That's what they're there for. They understand that. They have that mentality. Now, some of the, the less than professional athletes, they'll come in and they'll say, well, I'm doing this diet. I'm doing this type of training. I'm like, okay, so why are you here? Um, I had a, an MMA fighter come in one time and I was trying to work with his camp and he goes, well, I want to train this and this way. I go, that worked. You did that for your last fight. He goes, yeah. And I go, how did that work out for you? Because you lost. Okay. And he's like, oh, well, yeah, I go, didn't work. Did it? I go, so are you coming to me because you need me or are you coming to me to tell me how to do my job? And, and so I've had to tell people, and again, it's a little bit of an asshole uh, mentality, but the benefit of, of running your own company and not working for another company or working for a university is those 4,500 square feet of my, my office that I work out of, that's my kingdom. That's my, that's my place. That's my, that's my castle. And if you're going to come in there, you're going to listen to my staff. You're going to listen to what they could tell you to do, and you're going to do what we tell you to do. Otherwise, you can leave. I never have that issue with them because they come in there understanding that anyhow. This is why they're coming to us. They want to improve. We have that reputation to, to improve them. And, and um, you know, you, you guys understand, you know, most athletes are very alpha. That's how they got to their, their position in the first place. They're very alpha. They're very red personality types. And, well, so am I. And I'm not going to go and tell you how to fight. I'm not going to tell you how to run the ball. I'm not going to tell you how to swing a bat. That's your job. But if you're in my house, then you're going to listen to what we tell you to do, or you can go find somewhere else. And I've never had to tell that to anybody. They, it's understood. So, so nobody comes in and pushes us around. I guess you can nice. say. <laughs> well, what's um, uh, at the beginning of the conversation? You, uh, when you're giving, you know, a brief bio, um, you <clears> talked <throat> about education being a pillar. Can you get a little yeah. deeper into the education, and more importantly, like how you're putting it out and the people that are coming to you and and the impact that you're making? Yes. Well, <laughs> we've we've always we've done um, we've offered. Uh, in the past, you know, CEU classes and stuff like that, just because of our backgrounds, our, our staff is able to do that. We'll get a, um, accreditation from different agencies and organizations to do CEUs. Um, but about three years ago, 
um, we were contacted by the uh, Arnold Sports Festival, and you guys know what that is. So, um, and they said, you know, they have everything else going on there. They wanted to start offering like some other, you know, other trying to get ahead of the curve, and they wanted to start offering education and seminar tracks. Uh, in addition to their other, you know, 80 different events that are going on. So they kind of just gave us the ball and let us run with it. And so we developed an education conference. Um, it's called Arnold Education. And um, uh, this was March would have been our third year uh, doing it. And, um, and it's great. It goes for two days. Uh, we have speakers from all types, like I said, performance, rehab, nutrition. We have practical workshops, uh, you know, uh, hands-on as well as lectures. Um, and it was, it was a lot of fun. We were able to offer CEUs for it. And um, it turned out really, really well. And so now uh, this year's uh, Arnold Sports Festival has been postponed indefinitely for right now. We, have, we don't know when they're going to do it, again, because of the corona. And um, so what we were planning on doing <clears throat> was maybe doing it uh, kind of virtually. And so we were talking about doing it, and we'd looked at some platforms and stuff. Well, that didn't go over too well with how things were being put together with the Arnold Sports Festival. So we've decided that we're just going to, now that we have the platform and everything set up, we're just going to start offering our own uh, we're calling it, uh, you know, our name of my company is Dominate Your Game, so we call it DYG. Uh, we're calling it DYG University, and uh, we're going to start offering um, uh, education seminars uh, from one speaker to half a day of speakers. Uh, you know, people who want to come in will have different topics, different uh, hands-on stuff, um, stuff that's more practical, I guess you could say, virtually. Uh, we have an amazing platform that we're going to be using that'll be, uh, it's not just like this Zoom where you just sit and, and look, very interactive. Um, it's a lot like going to an actual conference as a registration area. There's an interaction where you can, quote unquote, take the microphone and ask a question. Um, it's very interactive uh, and it's a really neat platform. So we're going to, hopefully our goal is to get that launched by the beginning of March. Uh, and we'll be offering them once every few weeks. Uh, like I said, we'll just do a couple of speakers, one or two to something, half a day or a full day. We can do anything. Um, and we had a lot of variety of stuff, uh, topics and speakers that want to go. And, um, and it's, it's a lot of fun because one of the things, again, people are so stuck at home and stuck in their jobs and not able to go out and do stuff to be able to get on and start talking to people, even if it's, you know, looking at a screen at least it's some sort of interaction and we can start progressing in our industry. I mean, it's very hard for us to be in our industry and not do stuff. You know, we need to be out there interacting with each other. Um, that's how this industry has progressed as well as it has. It's, it's not all of us um, uh, working completely on our own. Uh, again, Mark Phillippe quoting him one more time when he said, uh, basically, most strength conditioning programs are just Frankensteins. You know, we take we take the best and bits of lots of different other programs and put it together and dust it off, put a new coat of paint on it, and and uh, and put it in and apply it. And and um, uh, I think that there's a strong need in this industry for interaction between between colleagues, whether they're sports scientists or strength conditioning coaches or dietitians or athletic trainers. 
Um, I think there needs to be that communication where we are interacting with each other and bouncing stuff off of each other constantly on, even if it's anecdotal, even if it's not some research that's been done. Yeah, what do you do? Oh, you know, I, hey, I tried this. This was really kind of cool, you know, and hey, why not? So it, it's going to be fun. We're lo- we really look forward to it. There's a lot of work uh, to get done in time, building the platform, the website and all that stuff, but it uh, should be a lot of fun. Awesome. Look forward to seeing it. Yeah. yeah. So, Dr. Mike, if, if people want to find out more about DYG and then the upcoming DYG University, where do they look to? They can go to our website, dominateyourgame.com. Um, that's over the next couple of weeks will be up and down as we're revamping the entire website in order to handle um, the platform. So they go on it and it's not live. Give it a half a day and try again. Because um, there's sometimes over the next, like I said, over the next couple of weeks, it may be down while our, um, our IT group, the company is going to be updating everything um, and getting it to where it's working. Uh, you know, keeping our fingers crossed. Uh, so we're going to, my goal is um, not this Saturday. I think it's next Saturday. I'll have my calendar in front of me. I think it's next Saturday that we're going to try doing our first, like, soft launch, unofficial talk. Um, and um, we're going to do, um, I don't know, what I can't remember. I don't like to say I don't have the calendar in front of me. But we're going to do a, our kind of a soft launch over the seminar, make sure the platform works kind of open it up for free, just let people come in and, and view uh, and see how it goes. But the best thing now is just go dominateyourgame.com. That's all one word, dominateyourgame.com. Uh, and uh, there should be a button on there that'll say like education or something. I can't remember how they're wording it right now. Again, it's it's very fluid right now as we're all kind of, we're rushing to get this done. So I'm not one to kind of sit back and wait for stuff. I want it done like two days ago. Nice. So. <laughs> So oh, what? Uh, we get it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I. Uh, I think the interesting thing too is, uh, and you brought it up earlier, like the landscape of professional sports is changing so dramatically due to COVID. Uh, yeah. Like I, you know, you obviously saw that they canceled the NFL Combine, and yep. you know they've been throwing around the idea of um, you know not doing off-season training, letting the players up to their own. I mean, the liability issues of bringing players in in the off-season, forcing them to be there. Maybe something happens where somebody gets infected. And, you know, like the NFL is looking at mitigating, <clears throat> I guess you could say their liability. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the idea that you're, you know, historically all these players have trained in the facility, trained with the team. Now they're pushed out into the world and looking for private uh, facilities yeah. to maybe train at. But can you uh, kind of give us an idea of how you're kind of looking at this whole thing? And more importantly, uh, you know, what, you know, how you're addressing it, because this is a real problem in professional sports, because these guys, I mean, as I know, like the team is, you know, kind of the, the den mother in a lot of ways. And here's where you have to be. And here's the schedule. And now all of a sudden right. they're like, you know, go away. Well, one of the one of the things that we had to uh, we got hit kind of hard with was during the quarantine last spring, where they locked everybody down, <clears throat> particularly within the sports. Um, we were we were not about a third, yeah, about thirty percent of our clients we couldn't work with because they weren't even allowed to leave their home. You know, they weren't they're professional athletes, but their contract, you know, their their team says. Hey, you can't go anywhere. You can't go practice. You can't go train. You can't do anything. You can't leave the house. Um, 
it's it's it really is a catch twenty two because I understand where the pro the leagues are coming from and trying to minimize minimize their liability, but my concern is, um, if you take that time off, um, and you're not training or you're not practicing, you're a setting yourself up for an injury. That's first and foremost in my eyes. B, your, your performance is going to be completely lackluster if and when you ever get back to it. Um, and you're right. Most of these players, they're, they're out there to play. They're not out there, and that's why they do well with us. They're not out there to think on what they have to do. Their team tells them, you do X, Y, and Z. And they do it, and then they perform, which is one of the reasons why when they come to us, we do that for them. We take care of X, Y, and Z, and they just need to do it, and they perform. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how this plays out because we, since we are, we are a private facility, we're not open to the public. Uh, we only have one client at a time that we're working with, uh, whether it's training or rehab or a consult or performing research on or whatever like that. And, um, so we're able to minimize exposure. We're able to stay within all of the guidelines set forth, um, so on our end, it's been easy to adapt to what's, what's been needed, what's been mandated, I guess you could say, by, by the governor and by the CDC. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see how they are going to, how the athletes themselves are going to deal with this. If they get to a point like they did last year where they got locked down and you're told they can't go anywhere, there's nothing we can do. Uh, we'll work with them virtually, which we did. Uh, we've sent, we had some of our clients that we just sent them programs that they could do at their house. Uh, we ordered some equipment for them and sent it to them, had it sent to them uh, so they could keep at least moving. Uh, body weight movements or some other devices that we, we worked with, sent it to them, had them do it at home. Here's a program you can do in your garage, your backyard, whatever. Um, but it's, it's something that, I think the industry and sports in general are going to have to adapt to, because I really don't see this going back to normal anytime soon. And I think it's something that uh, we as practitioners are going to have to learn to adapt to in helping our clients, uh, as well as something that, that our athletes are going to have to adapt to in trying to perform. And hopefully they'll still be able to perform. Like I said, my biggest concern is really that those risks of injury you know, you, you don't you don't do anything for three months, and all of a sudden you go out and you oh well let's start practicing again, and you know none of these guys are going to taper up. None, none of them are going to do that. They're going to go balls out like mm -hmm. they do. That's why they're professional athletes. And you're just kind of waiting to hear that snap or pop or something like that, and and well then we get them back for another reason. It's a reason I don't want to have them there. And uh, I don't know. It, it's it's kind of a it's a shitty situation for all of us to be in, and it's. Uh, I'm hoping that something will actually, you know, come out of it where it's good and we can just keep moving forward. And otherwise, uh, there's going to be a lot of people out of work. So we'll see. Um, hopefully, uh, hopefully we can turn the corner on this whole thing. Yeah, me too. Anything else? That is it. Awesome. Thanks, Mike. I really appreciate you taking the time to wrap with us on Power Athlete Radio. Oh, anytime, guys. This was an absolute blast. Um, you guys are amazing. I was, I was a lot of fun. And, uh, Anytime, you just uh, get a hold of me. 
Yeah, well, if we're ever in Vegas, which we on occasion Vegas. are, man, we'll definitely <laughs> Vegas. We'll uh, we'll swing by. I mean, uh, I'm uh, I lived in Southern California. I grew up in Southern California. We moved out here to Texas four years ago, so a short trip to Vegas was uh, you know in, in the cards every couple of months. But man, I can't imagine what happened to Vegas in this uh, you know this coronavirus. Like I saw pictures of the casinos empty, the strip empty. Like it kind of broke my heart a little bit to see what happened to Vegas. Let me tell you, I was I was I'm, I was born and raised here in Las Vegas. I'm one of the few natives you'll ever meet over the age of 25, and it it destroyed me. It was heartbreaking to see what they did to the city and to watch everything just get shut down. And it looked like um, what was that movie? It was a Final Destination or something like that, where it was took place in the future, where they where it took place in a deserted Las Vegas where everything was covered in sand and there were zombies everywhere or whatever. That's oh. what it looked like. You know, it was like, yeah. it was just, it looked like something out of a movie set. Uh, you, you never see the strip dead, empty. Yeah. I mean, for the last 70 years, it's what it's always been thriving. And <clears throat> that, that really hurts. I mean, we're still at, uh, I believe it's 25% that they're allowed to have people in there. The workforce is way down, all of that stuff. Um, you know, we are, our office is, less than a 10 minute drive from the Las Vegas strip. That's the reason why we have it there. It's nice and close for people. If they're, they come in, stay on the strip, they can get to us easy. It's a $10 Uber drive, so to speak. And, um, uh, to watch it get hit like that. Um, it's interesting because like I said, it, my life really didn't change much. Uh, we were able to stay open. We were considered essential because our business license says that we're a research and medical facility. Uh, that's part of it. So we were considered essential. So we were able to stay open. And, um, you know, I, I basically go from my house to my office back to my house. I don't really, you know, do much else. You know, I'm there. I'm there 14 hours a day anyway. So um, but to see how other people were hit and stuff, it was uh, it was a kick in the pants. So hopefully we can get over it. And anytime you guys are out here, I used to go to Texas a bit. Um, I've been Austin a few times, Houston a few times, uh, Dallas once or twice. Um, but of course, you know, traveling is pretty bare minimum now, but, um, I was mentioned to, uh, text we were talking about humidity, yeah. uh, <laughs> before we were talking about that. And I said, you know, I don't, I'd love, I have a friend of mine who lives in, uh, just outside of San Antonio and she's been trying to get me to move to Texas for the last 10 years. And she goes, Oh, you, your business would do so well here, blah, blah, blah. I go, yeah, but I can't stand, I can't handle the humidity. I just can't. <laughs> And 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 Dex was like, well, I go, well, you know, comparatively speaking, we're in single digits all the time. So, except for this last week, it's been really cold and muggy. But yeah, I'll, I'll take the week out of out of the year. So. Houstonian uh, people in Austin mention the humidity or complain. I'm like, no, stop. Uh, I used to live in Tampa, Florida. I lived in Clearwater Beach uh, when I played for the Eagles. I lived I, in there. We were talking about Clearwater. Oh my God, it's horrible. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I, I and I lived down there, and every off season training down there. Like I used to call it my superpower because when I went back up to Pennsylvania to play for the Eagles, like I would just be like, this is amazing. People are like, it's 100 degrees. I'm like, yeah, but it's 105 and 100% humidity and rains every 10 minutes in Tampa. This is beautiful. I, I'm curious, Dr. Mike, have you heard any humidity training research? We know the elevation, like people go to Denver. What about the people that go to the hot, damp Houston and Tampa? <laughs> I just had this conversation with my athletic trainer. Um, we had a professor at UNLV who just retired a few years ago. His name was Dr. Young, who did an amazing, amazing hydration lecture for uh, the dietetics and the sports medicine programs at UNLV. 
Um, I sat in on it a few times. He was a brilliant lecturer. And he talked about, uh, you know, staying hydrated. And uh, he brought up a very humid environment. So he said, okay, anybody here tell me what is the number one primary way that the body controls its temperature? And sweating, right? Obviously. And he goes, well, sweating doesn't work very well when it's 90% humidity out, does it? And we're like, no, it doesn't. He goes, okay, so then what's the body's primary uh, way of cooling off during in a human environment? And we all just kind of sat there, and he goes, it's still sweating. (laughs) 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 This doesn't work as well. Um, That's one of the things. It's it's not like, uh, you know, some of the – of the stuff that's been done, like you mentioned, like on high altitude training and stuff like that, which is uh, pun intended, you know, up and down, up and down yeah, yeah. Uh, when it comes to on what comes to being effective or not, uh, what is long term or not, what is what stays around and what doesn't. Um, but from what I've seen when it comes to that is it's really pretty much the same of of staying of keeping your regular hydration up, whether it's a regular human environment. Um, staying hydrated, keeping your body fluid levels normal. Um, it, it, it really, I don't think there's much of a difference. There may be, there was a study done just recently, and it, uh, top of my head, I can't remember who did it, that looked at training, you know, acclimating to hotter temperatures, um, training and uh, trying to acclimate to hotter temperatures like you train in high altitudes. But um, I was just, I just read that recently. I can't remember who was in an NSCA re- uh, study. Um, and, um, uh, but then again, we're looking at, okay, does it stay? Is it something that you can actively now I've lived here in Las Vegas, my entire life. When I went to Clearwater, I had to present at an ISSN conference and, um, here I am, you know, business suit. And it was in the month of June, it was 93 degrees and 95% humidity freaking 24 hours a day. I had my thermostat, my hotel set at 65 degrees just so I could freaking breathe. And um, everyone's like, oh, it's not that bad. I go, I got more water in my lungs right now than the whole state of Nevada. Okay? <laughs> and, it, and so I tell people, and, and yes, there is a distinct difference. Now, yeah. you put me out in 120 degrees and 8% humidity, I know how to deal with it. So I don't know if it's, if it's more of an acclimation from being raised there or just that, we're, that people learn how to deal with it. Yeah, um, it, it's just you're going to be wet. Like I remember, like uh, wearing a suit, and it was uh, we went to an event, and I had to wear a suit. I think, and it just like you just kind of assume that you're going to sweat through your clothes, that you're going to soak your suit. Yep. Like you surely will not wear cotton underwear. I mean, you got to like have something lycra. Like like there's a whole like kind of a plan of attack. I mean, you know, people are like oh wear an undershirt. I'm like just makes you hotter. Just just wear a white shirt and sweat through that bitch. And it's like I like I was yeah. so sweaty that like my shirt was wet and I actually sweated through my tie, which I thought was pretty hilarious. And uh, you just <laughs> kind of like, yeah, you just kind of hope to God that someplace has AC. And if not, you're just going to be the sweaty dude. And it also, you know, I mean, it also hurts to be. Yeah, trained. but so is everybody else. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. other than Raphael, who would be like, oh, it's I need a fur coat. It's 100 degrees out that little fucker. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, the worst part is when your feet sweat. Uh, you know, you get in a situation <laughs> like that, and you're, you're, I hate that in dress shoes. You know, you pull your dress shoes off, and yeah. everything is saturated on the leather. Yeah. But it's, it, it is that. I really think it has to do with, you know, um, more of, of being used to uh, the type of environment, maybe more than acclimation, if that makes any sense. That 
I don't know if there is as much a physiological adaptation versus an emotional or, or mental adaptation of being able to deal with, like I said, living here in 120 degrees, I know how to deal with it. You know, I, I tell people, do what the natives do. The jackrabbits and the rattlesnakes go out at night, okay? There's a reason why. Um, you'll, you, there is not a single Las Vegas native that has a good tan because we're not stupid enough to go out in the sun when it's 125 <laughs> degrees outside. So I think, I think that there is, there is something to be said on, on, on performing in that type of environment, just knowing um, when I was uh, – one of my hobbies when I was in my 20s was uh, I used to pit crew for an off-road racing team, pro team, it was a pro Chevy team, Chevrolet team. And so we'd be out in the middle of the desert, 125 degrees, you know, working on car, working on a truck, changing tires and putting new transmissions in. And um, you just, you, I always tell people, you can never beat Mother Nature, but you can survive her. Mm. And and that's really what you have to do. You have to just plan for it. We would we would set out gallons of water with our names on it and times on it that we had to have this much water drunk by then. And and then during the day, all we would do is drink Gatorade and eat sub sandwiches, you know, Subway sandwiches and and wear hats and lots of screen sunscreen and loose fitting long sleeve shirts and stuff. And we, we were fine. We survived. And the people who didn't that just drank beer and didn't do anything else, they looked like zombies walking around, eyes sunken, you know, and they're dehydrated. So I don't know, like I said, I don't know if it's as much as a physiological adaptation to performing in that type of environment versus of just understanding what it takes to survive in there. So maybe it's more of a of an intellectual uh, adaptation. Cool. Maybe. So. Awesome. Well, we'll leave it there. Thanks, Great. Dr. Mike. Appreciate everything. And no worries. Thanks for listening to another episode of Power Athlete Radio, the premier podcast in strength and Now it's time for you to empower your performance. For more information about Mike's upcoming seminars and flagship facility, head to dominateyourgame.com. Until next time, bye.